Welcome to this study on Jesus, Portraits of Our Precious Savior. Over the course of the next 11 weeks, we will be looking at portraits of our precious Savior. I'm just so glad that you have joined us. I've written a workbook that will guide you along this journey. And if you came across this recording and want more information on the workbook, please email women at thenorthchurch.com. Tonight, I am going to just walk you through a little bit of features of the workbook. I want to encourage you to start your study with prayer. An example of how to pray is on page 10 of your workbook. You'll notice a few things that are different about this study from previous studies that I've written. It doesn't cover a single book of the Bible, but we will draw from a multitude of passages to help us know and treasure Jesus. And many of these passages are printed in the workbook for you, thanks to permission from Crossway. This way you can circle, underline, or otherwise mark those passages. And you're certainly welcome to look up the passages in your own Bible, and you may gain further insights by examining the context. You might answer a few questions and then be instructed to pause, to ponder what you've just been learning. This is a time for reflection and meditating on what you have been learning about Jesus. Sometimes you may write a prayer, or sing a song, or make a list of blessings, or make a plan to share with others. Throughout the workbook, you will see some beautiful artwork by Casey Lichty and Linda Dickinson. I am so grateful for the way God has gifted these women to point us to the preciousness of Jesus through their art. I hope all these things will be helpful and spur you on to know and to love Jesus. Many of you are listening or watching and you're doing this study independently. Or some of you may have missed class and are listening in to stay caught up. Our in-person class times will consist of interactive discussion that would be rather difficult to record, so I'm trying a new thing this podcast. Each week might be a little bit different, so I'm hoping to have a few guests join me throughout the semester. As you listen to these weekly recordings, I will walk you through each lesson, the names and titles of Jesus covered in each week. The Bible is an epic story that is all about one person, Jesus. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus All the types and prophecies, all are fulfilled in Jesus. Our women's ministry theme for 2022 and 23 is foretold and fulfilled, the unparalleled preciousness of Jesus. In the fall, we traced clues throughout the Old Testament to answer the question, Who is the King of Glory? And we discovered predictions and promises. Oh, what precious promises they were. Jesus is the promised one, God's promise kept. Now in 2 Corinthians one twenty, Paul wrote, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is, yes in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrew begins this way. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is incredible that God has sent Jesus to us so that we can know him. Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They exclaimed, Did not our hearts burn within us while he, that is Jesus, talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Well, you might ask, well, what scriptures did he open? Well, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, okay, Moses, all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then Jesus said, he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, well, that pretty much covers all the Old Testament. They must be fulfilled. So from Genesis to Revelation, there is no place you can look and not see Jesus. He is on every page. He is everywhere. He's everything. And so having their eyes opened to see and understand the scriptures set their hearts on fire. So in this study, my prayer is that your hearts burn with fresh joy and love as you see Jesus and you know him through the way he is revealed in the scriptures, his life, his ministry, his names. I hope that you will, with Paul, say that you want to know him as your precious treasure. In Philippians 3.8, he wrote this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Would you join me in praying as we start this study? Yes, Jesus, knowing you, that is what we want. We want to know you because There is no greater thing. Would you help us to count other things as loss? Other things that we once thought were more important? Would you transform our hearts as we launch into this study? Would you truly make it our heart's desire to know you more? To be found in you and known as yours? Jesus, you truly are the best. You are precious. You are our joy. You are our righteousness. Oh, and we love you, Jesus. Would you open our eyes to see more of you? Amen. So, if you are following along in your workbook, maybe you missed class, 
or maybe you're just listening along to review, we're on page 11. This is lesson one in your workbook. If ever a name was packed with significance, it is the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, see that word, glory of God the Father. In this study, we're going to investigate the name that is above every name. You saw this. This is the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. We're going to look at what other names and titles are given to Jesus and what we can learn from other ways that the Bible describes him. And how can types or symbols or word pictures, metaphors, how can those things help us in our quest to know and to treasure Jesus? Well, William Shakespeare wrote a famous line from Romeo and Juliet. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. When a child is named, parents use all kinds of criteria. Some consider how it sounds, and some consider the historical meaning or significance of a name. I know my husband and I, we considered the initials of our kids and what those initials would spell out in case they ever wanted to put those on a piece of luggage or something. Well, in the Bible, names often indicated the person's character or reputation or their situation. For example, King David's name means beloved, and he was known as as the man that was after God's own heart. Some even received new names from God. Abram became Abraham. Well, Philippians 2 tells us that that when God sent his one and only son, remember what he did? God bestowed on him. Okay, so this is something that God did. God bestowed on Jesus his name that is above every name. So in this first lesson, we're going to investigate what the name of Jesus means, along with the promises of his conception, some other names by which he was called, and a title or two when he was born. All right, so first we're going to look at promised one. You see this on page 12 of your workbook. As we learned in our fall study, Who is the King of Glory?, The very first promise of a deliverer and his designation is found in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. You might recall that the Garden of Eden was perfectly wonderful, beautiful, peaceful. They were created in the image of God. Then, disaster, the fall, paradise lost. The venom of sin entered our bloodstream. But the good news is that in Genesis 3, we also see a glorious promise of deliverance when God addressed the serpent in the Garden of Eden. 
Let's look at what the Lord said to the serpent. I'm going to mark serpent here in blue so we can keep track of who's who in this passage. So he said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here we get our first glimpse of this ongoing battle. Okay, enmity. A battle between the serpent and his offspring against the woman and her offspring. Well, all of the Bible and redemptive history revolve around this great story. Some Bible scholars believe that this is the first hint that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Throughout the Old Testament, genealogies are traced through fathers and not mothers. But here in Genesis, the promise, did you notice it, is to her offspring. God's design for a deliverer is that he would come through the woman's offspring. So Jesus' first name is her offspring, or offspring of the woman. And what will the woman's offspring, Jesus, what will he do? Well, it says here that he, this, this offspring is referred to, he shall bruise the serpent's head. So what about the serpent? What is his fate? What happens when a snake has its head bruised or crushed? This is a death blow to the serpent. And what will happen to this serpent slayer or snake crusher? What is his final outcome? It says here that the serpent shall bruise his, this is the offspring, his heel. So he will be wounded. The serpent is going to bruise his heel. And we can get some further insight into this if we look at another passage in the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. Because we read here, Isaiah puts it this way. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. Let's read this and reflect on Isaiah 53 for a minute. And you're going to see this in a pause section in your booklet. And this is designed to help you to slow down and to ponder these incredibly beautiful truths in your heart. Let's read this together. Surely he, right, that is Jesus, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced. Why? For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Look at that. This is amazing. Praise you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
These are wounds and bruises that Jesus endured for our sake at the cross. But he would ultimately recover from those fatal wounds, and he's going to reign forever and ever as our risen Savior. Let's look now at Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. This is also in your pause section. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Praise you, Jesus, what a wonderful victory. This is worthy of all of our praise. Now let's look at the name Emmanuel. This is on page 13 of your workbook. Long before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet promised deliverance. Isaiah gave some clues about who this deliverer would be. In Isaiah 7.14, we read this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what does Emmanuel mean? Well, we go to Matthew 1, and we can find out exactly what that means. In Matthew 1, we read that all this took place, that is, the birth of Jesus took place, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the angel instructed both Mary and Joseph to call the baby by yet another name. And we see this name next, the name of Jesus. We're on page 15 of your workbook right now. So why the name of Jesus? What does this earthly, personal name mean? Well, this is a name that is transliterated. That means it kind of sounds like, and so they, this is the way they translated it. It's from the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and the name is Yeshua. And this word is a combination of Yah, which is an abbreviation for Yahweh, the name of Israel's God that we learned about in Exodus chapter 3. And it's combined with the verb Yasha, meaning rescue or deliver or save. So it means Yahweh or the Lord saves or Yahweh is salvation. So we ask, well, how is the meaning of Jesus's given name linked to his mission? What is Jesus going to do? How does he bring salvation? Let's read what Matthew wrote in Matthew 1 verses 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. 
there's that language again from Isaiah. And you shall call his name Jesus. For, there's a little word for, this, this is going to indicate a purpose here, a reason or his mission. What will he do? For he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph were given this name by an angel. I don't think either one would ever forget that experience, would they? Yahweh's salvation came embodied in human form as a baby. And we we read here about this purpose. Okay, so as a little baby, Yahweh saves, or Jesus, might have been born and raised in the humblest of circumstances, but that never diminished who he was. His destiny was to save his people. This Greek verb here for save in Matthew one twenty one means to preserve or rescue from natural dangers and afflictions, to keep from harm, preserve or rescue. And here it means to save or preserve from eternal death, death to bring messianic kind of salvation. The name Jesus was quite popular in first century Judea. And for this reason, our Lord Jesus was often referred to or called Jesus of Nazareth, distinguishing him by his childhood home, the town of Nazareth in Galilee. So despite its commonness, the name Jesus is remarkably significant. Galatians 4 says, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. This mission, as Matthew records it, was to save his people from their sins. God sent Jesus to save us. We read this also in John 3.17. Jesus was sent by God for this very particular purpose, and his personal name bears witness to that mission. Just as the Yeshua or Joshua in the Old Testament led his people to victory over the Canaanites, Yeshua, Jesus in the New Testament, leads his people, that's us, to victory over sin and our spiritual enemies. So the meaning of Jesus' name, that is Yahweh saves, it reveals both his mission, that is to save and deliver, and his identity as the Savior of the world. The Son of God emptied himself of his glory to become a humble man. So we might ask then, how was Jesus' mission misunderstood by the religious leaders of his time? What did they think the Messiah was coming to save them from? Well, popular Jewish understanding of the Messiah's role at the time was that he would be a savior, but this salvation would would the salvation that Jesus brings is not going to be that political or military salvation that they were expecting. Jesus' mission was not going to be to overthrow the Roman oppressors and reinstate the Jewish kingdom. No, not at all. His mission was to save his people 
What does it say here in Matthew 1? From a far more insidious enemy, an enemy of our souls, sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin and the power of sin. He came to destroy the power of sin. So now let's look further at this name, Jesus being our Savior. You, you see this in your lesson on page 17. In Luke 1, we read some beautiful prayers of praise to God for his provision of a Savior, Jesus. And these prayers of praise come from both Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, who, as you probably know, was the father of John the Baptist. First, let's look at Mary's prayer of praise. And in your lesson, you were asked to look for words that refer to salvation or deliverance or redemption or mercy. So you can follow along with me as we read. From Luke 1, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now let's look at Zechariah's prayer of praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. I wonder what horn of salvation means. We're going to come back to that in a minute. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now you might notice, if you turn the page, that on the pause section, you're asked to ponder, what does horn of salvation mean? There's lots of different ways that the Bible um, uses horns, uh, that imagery, to refer to salvation. There were horns on the altar that was built um, at, in the tabernacle and the temple, and as sacrifices were made, the blood was put on these horns on the altar as a symbol of salvation and atonement, forgiveness of sins. Horns were also a symbol of strength and power. So God is promising that he has a powerful salvation that is to come. Those are just a couple of the ways that that the Bible refers to horns. You might want to investigate 
even more because this is a very rich image. Okay, now we're going to move along and we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus as a baby. It is just such an utterly astounding fact that God would come to earth as a baby in a humble manger greeted by shepherds. This doctrine is known as the Incarnation. You may be familiar with carne, or maybe chili con carne. Uh, Maybe you're going to make that for a Super Bowl snack uh, coming up uh, in the next week. Well, carne literally means meat. And uh, according to Theopedia, the incarnation of the Son of God is the terminology used to describe what happened when the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, became flesh as he was miraculously conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, according to the Bible. In the Incarnation, the divine nature of the Son was perfectly united with human nature in one divine person. This person, Jesus Christ, was both truly God and truly man. Truly amazing. In Luke 2, 10-12, we read this. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Here we see that word again, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is amazing. Now, I thought of the words of a very beloved Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In verse 2, there's just so much rich theology here. I wanted to point this out in the lyrics. Okay, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, or at least it seemed he was late, the promise took a while to be fulfilled, didn't it? Late in time, behold him come. Offspring, there's that terminology that we've seen in Genesis, and we see it again here. Offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, incarnate, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate deity, God in the flesh, pleased with us in flesh to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel, remember, means God with us. God dwelling with us. Lots of theology here in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's look at the next verse. Some of these titles we're going to look at later on in our study. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness light and life to all he brings. We studied this and learned a lot more about life in our Advent series uh, that we had in December. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. What is that referring to? Jesus came to save us. 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And as we close this lesson, I want to point to one other very sweet biblical truth. This is found in the section at the end of your lesson called For Further Study. And each week I have built in kind of extra questions and maybe things to ponder a little bit more or dig deeper. So if you have extra time, you can do this section for further study. And right now you can follow along on page 23. There's a chart there, and we're going to go through just a few of these precious truths. We associate the name of Jesus with his distinctive character, his quality, his work, his power, his authority, as seen in some of the these next verses that we're going to go over. First thing we're going to look at is that salvation is in the name of Jesus alone. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. But also, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Forgiveness of sins is received through the name of Jesus. Acts 10 tells us, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Believers are baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Healing and miracles were performed in the name of Jesus. We read here in Acts 3, By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And Jesus teaches believers to pray in his name. That is to pray in his authority, the type of prayer that Jesus would pray. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. In the Bible, when people spoke or acted or prayed in the name of Jesus, they did so as the Lord's representatives with his authority. The very life of the believer is to be lived in the name of Jesus. And by doing so, we bring glory to God. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the name of Jesus, that precious name, points to his power, his presence, and his purpose. It assures us that God's gracious intention is to save us, to save us by sending Jesus in the flesh, robed in frail humanity, as the song puts it. Jesus brings us to God through the salvation that he purchased by his blood. So I encourage you to spend some time praying and pondering the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Go back through your lesson maybe this week and review those pause sections if you haven't done so already. And then praise him for all he has done for you. I'd like to close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the one who came to save his people, us, from our sins. Save us, O God. Help us to trust Jesus with all of our hearts, to come to know him and love him, and help us to pray and act with power in Jesus' name the way you intend us to. Would you increase our faith? Would you grow our trust and affection for you? We pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.